in our third week here in Ephesians, and we are in a series called I Am Blank, and we're filling in each week our identity in Christ. The book of Ephesians is all about the church. It's all about who God is and who he has made us to be, and we love that he tells us who we are. We don't have to decide it. We don't have to um, discover or create it. Uh, We don't have to listen to what maybe others, good or bad, have to say about us. We can just hear straight from God, our creator, who we are. So last week we um, spent the first um, few verses of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, talking about uh, how we are blessed. I am blessed. And so we're going to finish out the passage, verses 3 through uh, 14. We're going to cover Um, verses 7 through 14 tonight, and it's part two of I Am Blessed. Now, last week we mentioned how most of us are conditioned in life and things that we receive um, based on an ethic, a work ethic of some sort, right? Nothing comes free. We learned that at an early age. And so some of us have a worker's ethic that you only get what you work for. And if something in life seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true, right? And some of us approach God that way. And we say, well, I think God will bless me. He'll love me if I just keep up with his commands and demands and I serve him. And whenever you fall short of that, then you say, well, it makes sense um, that, that my life is bad. It makes sense that bad things are happening to me. But when, when you feel like you're doing a really good job, then um, you blame God when things don't fit in to the way you thought life would go. And it's a twisted, messed up ethic. It might work in the workplace. It doesn't work with God. So that's a worker's ethic. There's a debtor's ethic that some of us have, which is um, that we will receive blessings and good things from God, but we recognize we're going to have to pay him back for this. And so it's almost uh, a bit of a spiritual bondage we put ourselves in that we believe, yeah, God, what he says about me and what he says in the Bible is true, but I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life living up to those expectations. And if I fall short, well, then they'll probably disappear. And so we have insecurities and fear that God will leave us if we're not good enough. And that's a twisted way to approach God as well. But God in the Bible is a blesser. In Genesis chapter 1, he created uh, Adam. And he he said that he created in verse 27, um, Adam in his image. And in verse 28, it starts by saying that he blessed them. Adam and Eve, he blessed them. Nothing they could do on their own, but he blessed them. And the quality of a blessing is dependent on the quality of the blesser. And God is a really good blesser because he is a really good God. And so he does things and says things about us that we can't control, that we can't earn or work for. We just receive. And that's good news. Sometimes it's just good news to hear that I don't have to wake up and do this on my own that I can just receive from God and believe what God has. Now, the world might say a million different things in opposition to that, and the enemy is going to want to lie and deceive you and trick you into thinking, maybe God didn't say what God really said, right? What did Satan do in the Garden of Eden? He said, maybe God, let's question what God said. But this is why we gather on Wednesday nights. We want to dig into God's word, and we want to say, no, this is what God says. This is what we're going to believe. This is what we're going to walk in. And we have each other uh, to walk with it, and God's Holy Spirit um, is going to be with us. And so it's good. Now, verses 3 through 14 are all one passage, and we've split it into these two parts. And it is uh, 202 words, one sentence, one sentence in the Greek, packed together. Uh, of all kinds of awesomeness. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. I want to 
switch things up uh, every once in a while. I don't know if it's because I perceive you're getting bored or if I just get bored. Sometimes I get tired of hearing myself speak. But we're going to try something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you guys some questions as we walk through this and um, give you a chance, give a little space for you to answer. So what we'll do is we'll stop four times. um, And the first three times, uh, after I give my little spiel, a.k.a. sermon, then um, I'm going to just open it up to you. I want to make sure that... that, um, we have a little bit of time for you if there's questions, things that I didn't hit on those few verses uh, that you can ask about or uh, the topic in general. So there might be some things that um, we don't want to talk about at all and you just stare at me for a few seconds and we'll move on. There might be some things that I just can't answer and I'll try to get back with you later on that. But uh, for the sake of me being able to disciple you on a more personal level and for us to really answer the questions that you have and not just the ones I hope you might have, um, I'm going to I'm going to leave a little space. So be thinking as we're walking through this and how you can engage uh, the word as the word is preached to you. Now, we're going to walk through what we covered last week, the first five ways that we are blessed in God. How many of you remember any of those five ways? Got them written down? That's all right. We'll cover them again. Nothing like a little... A little guilt trip to get us going this morning, or this evening. Well, let's jump in. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So the first way we're blessed is with every blessing. That's a good way to start, right? Uh, There's gifts. You get all the gifts. That's a wonderful Christmas in the heavenly places, even as he chose us. So the second thing that we see is that we are chosen. We are blessed because God has given us every blessing in Jesus, and we are chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. So number three, we are blessed because we're adopted. God's a father. We're his children. He wants us to be part of this family to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. Now, you see blessed four times in these 11 verses. You also see in him 10 times, 40 times in six chapters, you hear Paul say in him, in Christ, in the beloved, over, over, over. This is all about in Jesus. If you're a Christian, you get these things. That's good news. And 25% of all those mentions come in the first half of the first chapter. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in him, in him, we have redemption. So number four, we're blessed with redemption. God has bought us back. He's purchased us with a price. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Number five, we're blessed with forgiveness. According to, this is where we'll pick up tonight, according to the riches of his grace, with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the, there's a lot of big words, isn't there? According to the purpose, you see that over and over, purpose, 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 of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. That was all one sentence in Greek. That's action-packed. That's, that's like your three-year-old who wants to tell you what he's been doing all day and been having fun. He's like, just slow down. I know you got a lot of good stuff to say. That's great. Well, let's jump into blessings 6 through 9, starting in verse 7. We're going to hit uh, the second part of verse 7, and then 8, 9, and 10, all in one here. So let's go back and walk through this verse by verse. He says, According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The sixth blessing we see is that we're blessed with understanding. God wants you to know his plan. He wants you to know what he's doing and how you fit into it. That's really, really good news. Some of us have worked jobs. Um, We've been a part of organizations. We've been places where we wanted to know what's the big picture? Where is this all going? And it's hard to do what you're supposed to do daily when you don't know where this is all leading to. If you've ever been the one to struggle with that, um, God says, I know. And and I've revealed to you a whole bunch of stuff. So he says, according to the riches of his grace. So this is all about grace. Everything he said, all the stuff that we've been blessed with previously in verses 3 through 7 and now on, it's all because of his grace. Grace is God's free gift. Grace isn't just what God has done for you, but it's also what God empowers you to do. So even the faith that you have is God's grace. The mercy that you give, the love that you give, it's all God's grace. It's all a gift from him. That in of ourselves, the Bible says we are spiritually dead. Apart from God, we are dead. We're dead. We can't muster up faith. We can't muster up obedience. We can't do anything apart from God. Now, this can either depress you or make you super thankful that anything you do, anything you understand, you know, hey, this is is from God. This is God's grace on my life which he lavished upon us. Uh, Don't you love it when people around you are just super generous, right? When they just go above and beyond. I remember when I was a young pub uh, in our little tiny town in Randolph, I would mow lawns in the summer and I would just mow whoever's lawn because there's only like 150 people in town, but I would mow, 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 mow. I would get like 10 bucks, 15 bucks, maybe 20. And sometimes I'd be mowing for hours because I had a push mower. And then I would mow my great aunt, her, her lawn, Now, she didn't have kids of her own, and her husband died the year I was born. And so she kind of adopted my brothers and sisters, in a way, um, uh, as as her own. And she took care of us. And she would have me come mow. And I would mow. And when I got done mowing, there was always a chair out front for me to sit in next to her. And she would give me not like 10 or 20 bucks. She'd give me like 50 bucks. And then she would bring, like, she'd have my favorite pop and candy, and she'd be like, I don't know what kind of candy you want, so she'd just give me like a bunch of candy, and it would all just be sitting there for me. I'm like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to, you don't have to buy me this. You don't have to do this, and, and she just pampered me, and I was like, man, don't you love when people generously give? When it comes to God's grace, he's not looking at you saying, I want to see how this is going to play out. Are you worthy? Are you good enough? No, he said from the foundation of the world, I'm going to bless them like crazy, not because they're amazing in and of themselves, but because the world will see how amazing I am. God, 
God's for God. And we're blessed by that. And that's really good news. And the whole point of your life is to make him famous, to bring him glory, and to let him shine through your life. But he has lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. So here's the understanding. So God has all wisdom and insight, and he's given you some wisdom and insight. Making known. What is he, what's he making known to us? The mystery of his will. Now, the word mystery, you're going to see seven times in Ephesians. This isn't so much as like eerie, spooky, Halloween mystery, as much as it is something hidden, something secret. We understand God's will in what we call progressive revelation. That in the beginning, when God created humanity, that he didn't tell us every detail about himself day one. But as God's people grew, and as generations went on, he revealed himself and his plan in different ways. And so um, there were things that, that I'm sure Abraham or Noah or Moses would have loved to know about God that we know. Like we think about why is this going on so long and why, why is, is end times hadn't come yet and there's this thing. Like consider yourself blessed that you get to look back at all the thousands of years of history and see all that's been done and you get to see God and his revealed will in ways that people before you, saints in the past, would have loved to see. They would have begged. Says, Paul says the angels in heaven are looking at the church saying, you know what about God? You know what? Wow, we'd long to know what you know. And he says, this plan, this mystery, is that God's uniting all things. This is one of the major themes of Ephesians. Now, some would say, well, this is twofold. One, in the end, there's going to be a new heaven, new earth. All things are going to be under God's reign. But most scholars look at this and say, this is actually referring to the millennial kingdom. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen in the end times, right? And the big argument isn't what happens, but in what order. And without getting into tons of details on that, there's supposed to be a millennial reign where Jesus comes back. And for a thousand years, um, sin won't have the dominion. It won't have the reign that it currently has. And there will be peace. And the lion will lay with the lamb. And things will be different. Jesus will physically be reigning over people. When it says unite all things to God, he's not saying everyone's going to be saved. This isn't universalism where you can go do whatever you want. And ultimately, hey, we're all going to go to heaven, so let's just chill out. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying there's going to be a time where Jesus is going to reign on earth, and things are going to be brought under him. And again, this is all in Christ. It's all in Christ. The Bible, this is the understatement of, of, of the century. The Bible and life are hard to understand, are they not? They're, it's just difficult to understand so much about life. And some of us, we get really frustrated with all the things that we don't know. A lot of times we focus on all that we don't know. But think about just in the last week, what has God taught you about himself? Just think about in the last six months, a year ago, five years ago, what do you understand now about your life, your circumstances, God's will, who God is, who he created you to be that you didn't know back then? How many times have we made bad decisions or we grumbled against God, we complained about God because we didn't fully understand what he was doing in the moment. And then maybe it was days, months, years later, we look back, we're like, I wish I wasn't so foolish. I wish I didn't complain back then. I didn't see what he was doing, but I see it now. 
I see it now. That's on a microcosm of what he has done with humanity. Or we can look back over thousands of years and say, wow, this is amazing what God has done in Christ and his church. Some of us say, well, I feel kind of guilty sometimes because I'm a Christian, but I don't understand much about the Bible. I don't understand. Like when I read it in my house, even just a few verses, I get caught up on things that I'm just like, I don't know. It's easy to feel bad. Sometimes you question, like, am I even a Christian, right? <laughs> Do I, shouldn't I know a little more than, than I know? Well, let me ask you, are you growing? Are you growing? The fact that you're here, I hope I'm a good Bible teacher. The, the fact that you're here shows that you want to grow in your understanding. There, <clears throat> don't be insecure in, in what you don't know. Be thankful for what God has revealed to you, no matter how small you might think that is. Every night, Silas and whether Tara puts him to sleep or I put him to sleep, we go through the same thing. The same thing. We'll read him a story. We'll read the Bible. We'll pray for him. We will sing. We will do this whole thing. And the light is on the whole time. And we know, he knows, once we're done with all those things, we're going to flip the light off. And we do. And even though he's got a nightlight, it takes your eyes a little bit of time to adjust to the nightlight. So it's just dark for a little bit. And he will say, like he did last night, Daddy, I'm so scared when you're not here and it's dark and I can't see what's going on. And you, you have the same conversation every night about the dark. But the interesting thing is, is while I'm standing there over his bed talking to him, our eyes get adjusted to the darkness and the little nightlight, the little nightlight, it, it starts to be quite a bit of light for that little room. At first, he'll say, Dad, can you turn the light back on? I'll say, no, you can't sleep with the light on. You got your nightlight. And, and then he gets more comfortable. And I say, see, buddy, you can see what's going on. And God's with you. It's okay. And we put him to sleep, and we go on. You see, there is a huge difference, whether it be for a three-year-old in physical light or you in spiritual light. There's a huge difference between no light and low light. And you might not feel like you know everything, but you couldn't know anything about God and what the Bible's telling you without the Holy Spirit of God moving in your life. You don't have, and I don't have the capacity to understand something of spiritual nature that God's saying without God letting us know what he's talking about. And that is really good news. And there's things all along the way that God gives us, tools, helps. If you've got a Bible that's King James, blah, 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 and you're like, I don't understand that, that might just be a practical thing. We can get you a different translation. We, if you um, want resources, if you want more Bible studies, we give everyone who wants uh, a free subscription to Right Now Media um, where you can get, uh, as it's been said, the Netflix of Christian Bible studies. And you can just sit there, you can watch, you can listen, you can hear whatever you want. You can get that. We have a book. Andy has a book out there, Reading It Right, to help you to understand how, how to read the Bible in a very simple way. Um, there's things that we can help you with. So as you look at these verses, as you think about understanding, do you have any questions? 
Yep, the, these are recorded audio. Um, we don't have video, but you can go to the Crosspoint Salina Facebook page, and every Thursday morning, Logan will upload uh, the new one. He'll send a link to the iTunes deal. Once you, get to, once you click on that iTunes account or link, um, then you'll see the last X amount of Wednesday nights. If you click subscribe to it, then it should update for you each week as we add new ones. That'd probably be the quickest, easiest way. But we can we can email you the link as well. Anything else? Anything in there that you guys don't understand or you'd like to throw a question out? So much, so much in each one of these verses that we could talk about. We're blessed with understanding. Verse 11. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The seventh thing that we are blessed with, we are blessed with an inheritance. An inheritance. It says, again, in him, this is all about Jesus we have obtained an inheritance. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. Having been predestined, so this is something that you couldn't do for yourself. God chose long before you were even on earth that you would get these blessings in Christ. Because it was his purpose and it was according to his will so that we, Christians, um, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Again, it's all about Jesus. It's all for his glory that he gives good gifts. Now, the word inheritance, it literally means gifts from the deceased. The only way that you get these riches in Christ are because Jesus died for you. He died, and as a dead man, when he rose again, when God raised Jesus from the grave, he comes uh, bearing gifts. For all who place their faith in him, you get gifts. You get gifts, and there's no gift without him. You ever... um, You ever received an inheritance? Sometimes this is a huge deal. If it's a big one, even if it's a small one, it's always a weird thing for families when it comes to inheritance, isn't it? Because it starts making you feel weird about grandma and grandpa or mom and dad. And you're like, I don't want your stuff. But at the same time, if you got a lot of money, that's kind of a blessing. But I don't want you to die and and then there's this weirdness, and families split over inheritance issues, do they not? And what's the primary reason why they would split? Because the inheritance is split. And because there's question marks, and sometimes there's a will, and sometimes it goes to probate, and sometimes there's an issue. It says, in legal jargon here, it says, according to the counsel of his will. So it doesn't need to go, God's, this doesn't need to go to probate, <laughs> For those of you familiar with the process, God said, I know how this is going to go. It's my will that that you get this. And you don't have to split it up. You don't have to feel bad or jealous when Christians around you might be experiencing my power and my presence in ways that you aren't. You you don't have to to think, man, you're experiencing so much more in Christ than I am. And that makes me feel awkward. No, you can be happy for them, thankful, because God is God and he gives us all the same. Now, the fun part, or maybe the hard part for you, is recognizing that on earth, 
you can tap into some of these things. You can tap into some of them. And some people experience these riches in Christ um, as they dig into God's word and they see all these promises and all these things. And some people don't. They neglect them. And they say, well, pretty sure heaven's one of them, so I'll just go to heaven and I'll see the rest of it. And God's saying, there's an inheritance. You get some now, you get all of it later. So there's questions. There's questions um, that I would have. I don't know about you. Like, number one, what, what is this inheritance? Well, it's a whole bunch of things. It's the promises of God. It's, um, it's the riches of Christ. It's, it's um, eternal life. As you dig into God's word, you come across this inheritance over and over and over and over. It's hard just to sum up and say it's this one thing, because it's not just one thing. It's everything that, that Jesus says we are in him and we get from him in his finished work on the cross. Now, the inheritance we know is good because we trust the one who's giving it. And that's a big deal. Some of us inherit things that we don't necessarily want. Some of us, we, we have to spend weeks or months cleaning out great-grandma's house of hoarding, and we find, like, why did we keep 642 newspapers from the same day in 1974? Like, that wasn't needed, and you've got to deal with it. Um, my sister went to K-State and um, met the love of her life, and um, and they're married now. They got married a couple of years ago, and um, happy for her, everything was good. But she wanted to get a master's degree um, in, like, organizational psychology. Now, I don't know if you know much about that. I don't know much about that. But I'm guessing you're probably going to have to live in a city bigger than, well, everything but Salina, everything but Wichita and Kansas City in the state, uh, if you want a job in that field. And so she knew that. But when she was engaged to her boyfriend, who grew up on a big ranch around Strong City, um, his dad passed away. And he was an only child. And so this huge, hundreds and hundreds of acres of ranch, and all that goes with it, and cattle, and I mean, you can imagine, is all given to him. Sounds good, right? But there was a clause in there that said he couldn't sell any of it for 15 years. And so this kid, fresh out of college, is given all of this. And his fiance, they, they, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? This isn't something you can just sit on. There's tons of upkeep, tons involved. And so they live there now. And they're making a good life and it's working out okay. But do you know if the inheritance is good or not? And God's saying, this is an inheritance you're going to want. <laughs> this is something you're going to be blessed by. Now, again, when do you get this inheritance? Well, you get some now and you get all of it later. There's parts of heaven that we get to bring to earth. And then there's parts of heaven that are just in heaven. And so it's both. Now, this is a key. How can you and I be sure that we're going to get this inheritance? If you read the rest of the passage, as we will by the end of tonight, you see that it says we are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, um, for someone to seal a document was to, to give authority that this is from a ruler or from someone who's wealthy, and, and you, don't, you don't mess with it. And what they would do, they had these little cylinders um, with some kind of mark, everything from you know, a goat to, I saw one that had um, 
dancing lions, like just weird things. But it was unique to whoever that person was, right? And so they would take this and they would roll it into um, an, either an object, right? Um, or they would put it on the back of something and something soft like clay or um, wax. And so when people saw this, particularly when it came from the Roman government, they knew you don't question it, you don't mess with it. This belongs to them and all authority comes with this thing. And you just don't get it, you don't, you just know that's their possession. That's their, they have word. Here's the beauty. God's saying, the way that you know, right, the way, the, the way that you get sealed with my spirit is that I'm going to put my Holy Spirit not on the outside of you. This isn't a stamp on you. This is a stamp in you that, that I'm going to mark you from the inside out that you are God's possession. That, that when people look at you, they'll know he belongs to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So you're sealed and you are ultimately a living decree of what God has done for you on the cross and what he is currently doing in you. Before we, um, before we move on to number eight, any questions about these verses? How do you know? How do you know that you have been sealed with the Spirit? Simpler question. Well, maybe more clear, but more just as difficult. How do you, how do you know you're saved, right? Like if you're talking to someone and they say, "So how do you how do you really know that you're saved? That you're sealed with the Spirit?" It's not like you can see the Spirit. Sometimes you don't feel the Spirit. If you're having an off day and man, you're just making all kinds of dumb decisions. You're thinking, I'm not living like a Christian. How, like, how can I know, though, that I am a Christian? <laughs> yeah, so you know the Father's voice. Jesus said, um, I'm a shepherd. My sheep know my voice. Yeah. You trust him, you believe, for sure. This is one of the great insecurities, I think, of most Christians, isn't it? How do I know that I'm saved? Amen. 
Amen. You ladies are good theologians. Paul's going to prove you true here in verse 13. That's good. Thank you guys for sharing. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if you want to know about evangelism, you want to know about disciple making, you want to know about how you can know that you're saved, um, here we go. Verse 13 lays it out. The eighth blessing that we see here, and of course, if we preached through this passage a hundred times, we could come up with even more blessings. So um, don't, this isn't, um, yeah, you guys know what I'm saying. We are blessed with the Holy Spirit. It says again, in Him. So this is always, it's always pulling you back. It's not about you. It's not about what you have done. In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard. So here it is. You want to know? You want to know how this works? How you know you're sealed with the Spirit? You heard. What did you hear? The gospel. And what did you do? Believed in Him. That's it. That's it. It's so easy to overthink. But the good news is good news. It's not good news with a clause. <laughs> It's not good news with uh, some bad news. Like following Jesus is hard. He says, count the cost. But salvation, it was only hard for him, not for you. Right? Repentance and turning from sin, that's God's grace in your life. And that's going to happen for the rest of your life. But it is not the dictator of your salvation. God's grace, it's a free gift. Cost him everything, cost you nothing. That's such good news. So you want to know how you're saved? Well, you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You believe that he is better than you are bad. You believe that his work is better than your failures, that he paid the price. And then he rose again. He's saying, come with me. You want new life. You want heaven. You want everything that you were created for. Come and follow me. Repent. Believe. And like, um, like Susan just said, one, one of the primary things that the devil uses to um, make you question or doubt your salvation needs to be flipped on its head as affirmation of your salvation. There's days where... Um, there's days where I still wake up and I don't want to be a pastor and I don't even want to read the Bible very much and I don't, I don't want to do good things and I don't want to talk to people and I don't want to pray and I know deep, deep down, I do want to do all those things. Like deep, deep down, I do want to do all those things, but my flesh, my, my earthly desires, like it's, it, it just, it's just screaming, just be lazy today. Just, just sleep till noon. <laughs> just don't go, um, don't, don't do anything that you know you should be doing. And unless you're crazy holier than me, then you experience similar stuff on a regular basis where you might deep, deep, deep down want to do the right thing, but everything on the surface of your life is just screaming, let's just, let's just be sinners for a while. And what the devil does is he says, like Susan said, you will question whether you are a Christian. Um, and the beauty is 
the turmoil in your heart and in your mind isn't affirmation that you're unsaved. It's affirmation that the Holy Spirit is now colliding with your sinful flesh and there is a war being waged in you that previously you knew um, you didn't necessarily experience prior to placing your faith in Christ because the devil had you where he wanted you and you were living for him even if you didn't know it and he wanted to keep things quiet on that front. And so new believers experience this tension inside of living the way that I I want to in my flesh compared to living the way he calls me to live and this collision between the flesh and the spirit happens. And that battleground is actually affirmation. Because if the Holy Spirit wasn't in you, there would be no battle. You would just be in bondage. So that's really good news. Jesus gave the Spirit as a gift. He says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. Sometimes sometimes in life, um, the gift that seems to be the most obvious gift isn't always the best gift. Like, um, for example, and this, maybe this is awkward. I don't know. I'm 32. Am I 32 or 33? 33 years old. That's right. I just had a birthday two weeks ago, so this should be fresh. Um, I'm 33, and w- when when do you stop getting gifts from your parents? Like, is there a handbook on that? I don't know if there's a handbook on that, but we're, it's like we're in that weird phase where I've been married for almost 10 years. I have a child of my own. Like, I don't want gifts. I don't need gifts, but Christmas is coming, and, you know, there's a birthday. And, and so, you know, your parents say, is there anything I can do for you? And you're just like, ah, what do I do? And so we have, like, this this little Elfster account. Any of you guys have Elfster where you just write or, like, link anything that you would like, you know, so if you want a shirt or whatever. And then other people who are, you know, can look and purchase things for you and you don't see that it's purchased, but they can see if something was purchased uh, anyway. And so, so I, I didn't know really what to put on there. And so the last few years I, I thought, what, what do I like? Like what on a practical level could I enjoy? I got to put something on there. Cause they say, you got to put something on, you got to put something on. Like, I don't want to put, so I just started putting candy on there. Like, like peanut butter, M&Ms. They're so delicious, right? Um, Starburst, Skittles, like things that when I'm in my office and my brain's just a working and I'm typing or I'm doing something and then I think, oh yeah. And I open that drawer and I get me some Starburst and I'm like, this is enjoyable. This is actually good. I, re- I like this right now. Gifts change. There's a progression. And, and for some people, um, when they see Christianity from a, a distance and, and if you ask them, you say, what, what's the best gift that a Christian gets? Most, maybe even new believers would say, heaven. Like, that's why people are Christians, right? They get to go to heaven. But as you mature and you understand and you grow, you realize little kids want stuff, right? Um, but, but adults, as they mature and grow, they just want quality time with loved ones. They would rather go on a date um, than to get something. They, they want to spend time with their kids than to... Um, get a bunch of stuff and you realize the only reason that heaven is perceived as this amazing gift, right, is because there's an actual greater gift than that. That's, that's God himself. The reason heaven's so good is because God's in heaven. And the reason hell's so bad is because God's not there. And so you get this understanding that the best gift is God himself. And that's ultimately what he's giving. He says, I'm promised the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. How much do you think on a daily basis 
about the fact that God lives in you if your faith is in Jesus. That God, you know, Jesus was with the disciples, but he said the Holy Spirit that I'm sending to you is, is going to be better than me. Why? Because Jesus could only on earth be with a few people or even thousands of people, but he couldn't be with everyone all the time. Right? Even though he was still God, he had made himself man. And the Holy Spirit can be with everyone all the time if their faith is in Jesus. And this is really good news. But how much do you actually think about that on a daily basis? That everywhere you go, God is in you. He's guiding you. That there's this ember, even if you're not fanning it into flame. We're going to get into this in Ephesians 5 and 6. That the Holy Spirit isn't given in terms of quality. It's always the same quality. God is God, but in quantity. If you're sealed with the Spirit, you might be running on empty, so to speak. Um, you might be like, I don't feel God's Spirit. I don't feel much. Like, I'm just, because you're not in God's Word. You're not, you're not around God's people. You're not living the way God, you're not repenting. You're not responding to God's promptings. And so you just have grieved the Holy Spirit. And you feel just like, ah, I don't even know if I'm, if I'm saved. And God's saying, you're sealed. <laughs> you're just miserable right now. But the more that you fan into flame God's power and His presence and His Spirit in you, you realize the quality of the Spirit can't change, but your experience does. And, he, and this is why Paul says, just like you can get drunk on wine, get drunk with this, we get filled with the Spirit. How much do you think about that? Talk about untapped potential. How many of us walk around feeling guilty or feeling like, on a daily basis, I need to do better. I got to do better. I need to, I need to, I need to be a better person. I need to do better things. And you feel that pressure and that guilt, and then you don't live up to God's standards. And, and God's saying, <laughs> he's saying, I'm in you. I give you all the power. You're just not turning to me. And you're feeling guilty because you can't meet these standards when you know you couldn't do this before the gospel. Why would you be able to live up to God's standards after you become a Christian if you're not depending on the Holy Spirit? And the church has set things up in such a way where we try to be the people of God doing the work of God without the the presence and power of God. And I wonder how much, if we just said, you know what, if it was possible, it's not, but if we just remove the Holy Spirit from everything that even Crosspoint is doing, would we notice? Like when it comes to you obeying him, in tune with him, listening to him on a daily basis, do you do that enough to where if he was removed from your life, you would even know? Or are you trying to do this on your own? The Christian life, and maybe for some of you this might be the most important thing you hear, is not about what you can do for God. It's not giving your life for God as much as it, as much as it is God living his life through you. The Bible says God is a lion. He's a lion. This idea, and at the end of Revelation, you see the throne of God, and from the throne of God, there's a river coming. Like, you don't need to climb a ladder within Christianity. You need to open the gate. Let the lion out. You you need to open the floodgate. Let the river flow through you. And some of us try to work ourselves into a frenzy, a spiritual frenzy, to try to manufacture what only the Holy Spirit can do. You can't manufacture obedience, repentance, faith. You can't muster it up. 
With Silas, and I probably mentioned it before, Tara does an amazing job. I try to do a good job daily when he's in our house and, and we're saying, here, here's, buddy, here's how you draw and here's how you make letters and here's how you do this and here's how you play. And, here's, and we teach him things all the time. But sometimes we get most amazed at him when in the afternoon he has like an hour of quiet time. And we just let him downstairs by himself. He gets a snack and he gets to do whatever his little mind can do that's not sinful. And... And uh, and we'll come down afterwards, and he'll say, Mom, Dad, look what I did, look what I did. And we don't know what all he did. And we'll come down, and he'll have, like, his Lincoln Logs out there, and he will have built, like, a little city, like, left to his own device and his own creativity. The little dude can, like, build a little kingdom in an hour. And we just spent the previous six hours teaching him how to make letters, and he's like, why make letters when you can build a kingdom? Like, he, he can do things that blow us away sometimes and we'll leave it. We're like, I got to wait and show this to, to Tara. Tara shows it to me later that night. If you, if you just let God, if you get out of your own way and say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to listen to him. I'm going to realize I can't do anything without him. He's living in me. I'm going to, when I pray, I'm not going to just tell him stuff and then bail on the prayer. I'm going to listen. I'm going to say, God, you're in me. Speak to me. And I'm going to leave space for it. And when I start hearing weird stuff and the enemy's trying to mess with me, I'm going to push through it. And I'm going to hear, I'm going to not get frustrated when I'm in his word. And I'm thinking, I can't understand this. You, you, you're right. You can't understand this, but the spirit is a teacher. And so you just continue to read and you continue to pray and you just keep walking and you let him well up in you and give you power and give you strength. You've got to get past yourself so that he can live fully in you. He's knocking on the door constantly from the inside out saying, I'm already here, but you've kind of pushed me in the closet. If you let him, he can build a kingdom in your heart and all throughout this city and this world. But you've got to realize you're the vessel. You're not the engine. Before we go to the last verse, do you guys have any questions about this verse? We're going to talk a good chunk about the Holy Spirit throughout Ephesians. So much we could say, but is there anything that comes to mind that you have a question about? All right, we'll wrap it up at verse 14. He says, Who... So the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee? This is a beautiful, awesome word we'll talk about. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Number nine, the ninth way we're blessed as we wrap up this passage is we're blessed with perseverance. Perseverance. So he says, who, that's the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee, we'll talk about that in a second, of the inheritance, so we'll talk about that inheritance again, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How many of you guys, let's see this, until we acquire. So there's obviously some of it that we have not fully received, but there's obviously some that we have. That this isn't fully done until we're face to face with him, right? How many of you like waiting for things? That's not a very American thing, is it? Like we want things now. Our whole society, our, every fast food restaurant, everything's about getting instant gratification, if you've got a teenager, you know, they, they are, they love 
instant gratification. We're, we're trying to figure out how do we teach young people now that not everything comes immediately. And so some of us were like, well, if I'm not experiencing everything that God has for me and everything that I do, we just go crazy. And we realize this is, you gotta, this is, this is gonna take time to, to learn to walk in him. And, and when the world and addiction and struggles are pounding on your door, yeah, it might feel overwhelming and you're gonna wanna be more mature in Christ, but just be patient and keep walking in him. One day you're gonna see that the fullness of everything he promised you is gonna be a reality for you then. But even right now, it's going to take time to walk in what he has for you. It's been said about the Christian life. Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book simply called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. (laughs) A long obedience in the same direction. That's different than your best life now. It said on on a regular basis to be a Christian and and to be maturing daily is simply saints stumbling forward. (laughs) Life is hard. Life is hard. It's just hard. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to persevere. It's hard to see the big picture when the everyday is just tearing us up. But you stumble forward. You stumble. We all feel the stumble, but you just stumble forward. Just get back up. Trust God. Sometimes maturity in Christ isn't that you make less mistakes, but you recognize forgiveness and biblical truth quicker, right? Like when you're first a Christian, how often will you find, like, if you do something bad, you feel guilty, and you're like, I'm not going to church for the next two weeks. I'm not going to be around the Bible. I don't want to be around anything that reminds me of God. And then you mature a little bit, and you find yourself still making mistakes, but you're like, okay, um, in a week, I'm not going to be just beating myself up over this. And then it's three days, and then it's two days, and then, the, then before you know it, in the moment, you're like, oh, that was wrong. But God forgives. I know he's already done it. It's, it was done on the cross. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stumble forward. I'm going to keep on walking. That's, that's growing in maturity. That's growing in maturity. Why is it so hard? It's hard because the goal of life isn't comfort. It's glory to the praise of his glory. Three times in this passage, it says, to the praise of his glory. It's about him. It's about him. I'm going to steal this from other preachers, but it's been said several times um, that all theology can be boiled down to uh, cat versus dog theology. Ever heard that before? Cat versus dog theology. If you've got a cat and a dog and they both have the same master, perfect master, grooms them, takes care of them, feeds them, provides a wonderful bed and a wonderful house and everything is great. The difference between cat and dog theology is the cat thinks, I must be a pretty awesome cat. And the dog thinks, I must have a pretty amazing master. And some of us, we we struggle um, with the until we acquire, we, we realize life is hard and, and, and it's not all going to just be perfect right now. We struggle with pain and suffering because we have cat theology that says Christianity is all about you. It's all about, it's all about you being comfortable and experiencing um, comfort and joy. And we've promoted this in an attempt to get people to come to Jesus to say, well, maybe Jesus thing isn't about Jesus. It's about you. And God's saying, the reason you guys don't experience me in, in the way that you should is because you were duped into this thinking this is just about you. 
when really it's always been about God. The Bible is for you, but it's about God. It's about God. He says this word in the Greek is guarantee. It can be um, translated a couple different ways. One of them is earnest. You ever buy a house, you have to put down earnest money. It's a, it's a seal. It's a, it's a guarantee, right? That, hey, I'm good for this. It, here's, this is weird. This normally it doesn't, this kind of translation is rare. The word in Greek can also just be translated engagement ring. The Bible speaks about um, the church as the bride of Christ. When the Holy Spirit is placed in you, when you place your faith in Jesus simultaneously, your faith, his spirit seals you. It's God putting an engagement ring on his bride saying, just so you know, you're as good as taken. Like it's, it's on. It's on. But we struggle because we don't want to be engaged forever. I don't know what um I don't know what you might be struggling with tonight in persevering through. Maybe there's um a situation that has got you on your last nerve. Maybe there's a family member, maybe there's a, a career issue, a school issue, um where what's up? Cool man. Appreciate you, buddy. And you find yourself frustrated because you want this to come to an end and you want to you, you be where the light is and you just feel like you maybe at best can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you ain't anywhere close to it. And God's saying, you persevere not because you're doing this for yourself, but you're doing it for me. You see, self-centered perseverance stops when the blessing runs out. If you're a professional athlete, you retire when it's not worth it anymore. If you're a soldier, you give your life because it was never about you to begin with. And if you have cat theology, it's a self-centered view of God. But if you're a dog, Crosspoint needs some dogs. You realize it's always been about how good God is. And so you persevere, not because... This is easy or fun. No, you take the narrow road because Jesus persevered on the cross and he didn't stop halfway up the cross. He didn't bail in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat and blood. He was fully aware of where he was headed, but he always did the Father's will to the fullest extent because before the foundation of the earth, it was predestined that he would do exactly what he did. And he revealed 2,000 years ago on a cross that God doesn't take shortcuts. He perseveres to accomplish his own will. And we persevere because it's not about us. It's about bringing him glory. And every moment of pain that you experience in life, and maybe right now you need to understand, that's a moment for you to sulk or say, man, why are you doing this, God? That's cat theology. Or it's a moment for you to say, I'm going to praise you in the middle of the storm because, God, you're still good and you've got a plan and this is about you and you want the whole world to be able to see in that moment, hey, what kind of a God would you follow? Do you follow? 
that would make you praise him, that would, that would give you the desire to praise him in the storm. And you say, the kind of God who gave his son for me on the cross. He died for me, and I'm dying to myself to follow him. Grace is beautiful. It's not cheap. But it's God's gift. And we follow him in return. We give our lives to him. We persevere. Let's pray.